David Hufford later later on when I spoke with him at Esalen, he talked about the belief in spirits as kind of like the cutoff point between the modern and the pre-modern or modern and pre-modern ways of thinking. One of the strangest things uh, that happened in that very first seance was I saw this green uh, mask kind of appear over the medium's face. And it looked kind of like a Chinese uh, monk's kind of face. That's how I, how I kind of like describe it. Um, but you know, kind of stereotypical, cartoon-like maybe, um, or caricature-like maybe. Um, but it was it was like a hallucination. It was this green mask, and it just sort of slid down and sort of disappeared. We've had such a problem in our Western culture of even coming to terms with the fact that you know plants and trees and the things that are immediately obvious in our environment have got intelligence and consciousness and that kind of stuff. So it's not surprising that we're going to have difficulty trying to grasp or grapple with, you know, non-physical consciousness. Welcome to the Spirit Box podcast, where we explore mysticism, esoterica, and the world of the spirits and everything in between. Today we welcome Dr. Jack Hunter. Dr. Hunter is an anthropologist exploring the borderlands of consciousness, religion, ecology, and the paranormal. He is a tutor with the Sophia Center of the Study of Cosmology and Culture, University of Wales, Trinity St. David, and teaches on the MA in Ecology and Spirituality and the MA in Cultural Astronomy and Astrology. He's authored numerous books, most recently publishing Manifesting Spirits, an Anthropological Study of Mediumship and the Paranormal, and he edited Greening the Paranormal, Exploring the Ecology of Extraordinary Experience. Now, this was a, a really enjoyable conversation that took many twists and turns and we discussed the influence of uh, Jack's own childhood and teenage experiences that, that formed his interest in his chosen field of expertise. And Jack takes us on a journey through his fieldwork in mediumship at the Bristol Spirit Lodge in the UK to his thoughts on how we develop more harmonious relationships between human and non-human worlds. And somewhere along the line, we talk about our own gardens and uh, our relationships with them which I think is slightly my fault, to be fair. In the Plus show, we go deeper into nature uh, as an intelligence. And we discuss Jack's upcoming projects, uh, particularly one on high strangeness and religious experiences. We also discuss how we interact with beings that have a totally different perception or may have a totally different perception of time to us and the complexities of of how that uh, will affect our relationship and understanding of each other. And Jack offers a really interesting metaphor uh, with the life cycle of ancient trees, which forms a useful framing for this strange concept. Now, if you want to hear The Plus Show, then sign up to the Patreon and you'll get The Plus Show along with a host of other benefits. You can also buy me a coffee via my link tree and YouTube videos. As always, I'm interested in hearing people's experiences about the other. So do reach out to me either on Patreon or Twitter or Insta. And um, I'll be delighted to hear from you. Okay, that's it for me. Let's get on with the show. Dr. Jack Hunter, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Spirit Box. Uh, big fan of yours, been following your work for some time, so I'm really delighted to have you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Um, so one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you about, um, it, it, I mean, I wanted to ask you about uh, your 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 broad your work broadly, but obviously you've got your new title that came out um, towards the tail end of last year about uh, manifesting spirits when your anthropological work yeah and uh, i'm kind of focusing on, on was, was was it your was it your phd work yeah it's yeah. basically um it's basically my my thesis there's a few little bits that have been removed from it and a few little bits that have been added into it but mm -hmm. essentially it's the the whole kind of the whole thesis <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so with that with that work as a whole you know, and your own, I guess, 
the big question for me is, did your worldview change over that period of, of research, over the period of, of writing the thesis? You know, like what affected doing that work and going to um, Bristol Spirit Lodge? What, what, what did it have on, on you and your own belief? Or how you yeah, it's, a good, it's a good question because um, I've been thinking a lot recently about the interaction between the kinds of things that we experience and our backgrounds and our pre-existing beliefs and expectations and all that kind of stuff. So it's quite useful to think about this kind of thing. <laughs> um, because obviously before I had even gone to the Bristol Spirit Lodge, I was already interested in things and I'd already had my own, you know, psychedelic experiences and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you know, I was primed and ready but by, by the time I got to the Bristol Spirit Lodge to be able to, uh, you know, to think about those kind of things, you know, on their own terms rather than trying to just explain them away. Because I've already had experiences, you know, hallucinatory experiences. And I had an interaction with fairies <laughs> on, on my first mushroom trip. Oh, wow. Cool. We'll have to discuss that in a bit. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all of these things had obviously had an impact on me even before I'd gone to the Bristol Spirit Lodge and you know all of those things had also had an impact on me before you know in, in in my interests in exploring you know religious studies and anthropology and that kind of thing because you know I had my own extraordinary experiences and you know these are disciplines out there that are trying to make sense of those kinds of things so I was obviously drawn into it from my my own you know pre-existing interests mm -hmm. Um, but that said, there was stuff that the the experience of going to the Bristol Spirit Lodge kind of um, new things, you know, new things that I hadn't thought about before. You know, to be honest, I'd never really been that interested in spirits. <laughs> and you're thinking about the um, like the paranormal and growing up, I was always much more interested in UFOs, mm. and I, I was always much more interested in things like vampires and stuff which i just thought were way cooler than your know, spirits of the dead which are basically just humans um I'm, I'm laughing because i think for a sizable amount of my kind of my childhood like when i was asked what did i want to be um i was like i, I want to be a vampire you know, like for a long time i read that you know the, the ladybird books you get when you're a kid I, I got the dracula one and i totally identified well, yes yeah i totally identified with dracula in it like you know yeah the ladybird dracula book is what got me hooked on dracula as well no way i remember oh. i saw it um in i was must have been very, quite young at the time mm. must have been about four years old but yeah i used to live in liverpool and we went to a suit uh, like a big supermarket kind of thing in liverpool and i saw it on one of those like you know those wire stand things yeah this ladybird dracula book and it just imprinted in my mind Mm. and um i don't i can't remember if i if i was allowed to buy it or anything like that but i did i bought it again recently and cool. it just brings back that feeling yeah <laughs> yeah i i do think a lot of of kind of these interests that, that that we have do go back from those points of like childhood just exploration and and that kind of free imagination that children have you know um but wanting it to be more and i don't think you ever stop searching for that you know i think no, yeah. and it's also the kind of things that you're exposed to as well mm. so you know maybe if i'd been exposed to or if this dracula book hadn't popped up to take my attention you mm. know i might have got into mummies more <laughs> or into <laughs> you know zombies or something but vampires and ufos were the kind of like my cool cool things for a long yeah, time yeah and i always thought that ghosts and spirits were a bit boring but um when i was at university um we started we had i had a great um session with fiona bowie who would go on to be my supervisor we had um, a class with her you know like a module mm -hmm. on religion and cosmology and she introduced us to um the work of the anthropologist edith turner and this really famous paper that Edith Turner wrote called The Reality of Spirits. Uh, is it a tabooed or permitted field of study? 
and uh, it, it was published in 1993 or something. Probably around about the same time I saw that Ladybird Dracula book. <laughs> and um, yeah, but I, all of a sudden it just clicked that, wait a minute, you know, in this paper, she described her own experience of seeing this ectoplasmic kind of spirit manifestation. But, but she talks about how, you know, you know, there are these kinds of experiences that are reported around the world and anthropologists dismiss it time and time again and that kind of thing. And it was that moment then when I read that paper that I thought actually spirits are pretty interesting <laughs> because, you know, they are, they're also very, you know, common like you know I'd seen spiritualist churches and things like that around Bristol so it's all of a sudden you know the fact that you know spirits are kind of like this uh, well David Hufford later later on when I spoke with him at Esalen he talked about the belief in spirits as kind of like the cutoff point between the modern and the pre-modern or modern and pre-modern ways of thinking right and the idea that you know I noticed then that you know people even in Bristol uh evidently still believed in spirits so it wasn't something that was you know, like primitive or mm -hmm. something that had been evolved away or anything there, i you know i could walk down the street and see a spiritualist church and if i went in there there would be people who were claiming to regularly interact with spirits so the whole question about you know what are these spirits and what you know what is it that makes these people do it because if you look at it from the common you know the mainstream perspective you know, it's, it's all supposed to be delusion and fraud and things like that. And yet people continue to go to seances and continue to go to spiritualist churches and people continue to have to report these experiences and things. So obviously it's something that continues to go on. So I started to go to um, a spiritualist church in not far from Ashley Down in right. Bristol. Oh, it was the Belmont Road Spiritualist Church. That's what it was called. Okay. And it was like um, a Victorian, it was like a Victorian, old Victorian suburb kind of vibe. And uh, these old houses. And it, I went inside it, into the, inside this the spiritualist center. And the only thing that, you know, that made it apparent that it was a spiritualist center was a big plaque outside that said Belmont Road Spiritualist Center. But when I went in, it was kind of, it felt like a bed and breakfast kind of vibe in there. Mm -hmm. And there was potpourri and like plush carpets and things like that. And pictures of like Jesus and stuff. And it was really, you know, it, it clicked to me then as well that there was this whole other world, you know, of spiritualists in Bristol that I'd never really thought about before. And I spent a while going to this spiritualist church and just trying to be, trying to get the feel for it. And I noticed things like, um, you know, like just to bring it all back home again, that people were talking about spirits in there as if they were everyday part of their lives. You know, not some kind of like fanciful abstract kind of idea. Like when you go to church and they talk about God and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it's always like lofty and abstract and you don't see how it necessarily relates to your life. Well, some people probably do. Um, but these guys were saying, you know, that when when the CD player was malfunctioning and things like that, that spirits are obviously doing that. And it just, to, again, is one of those clicking points that for, for some people as well, you know, these things are not uh, abnormal or strange or, or anything like that. We're in their worlds. It's something that is totally taken for granted. Mm -hmm. But because of my, uh, like, shyness and um, things like that at the time, and I was only an undergraduate, student at the time as well um the i didn't really click in this uh, spiritualist church it was a nice place and i went to a, some, some some sessions there i did some evening um mediumship development and things like that as well cool which was very interesting but i didn't feel like i was getting anywhere near becoming a like a, a group member or right getting into the inner circle of it i think it probably is my own fault because obviously you could do it if you wanted to. Mm. But so I, th I thought, you know, maybe I could find somewhere that was a bit more um, like personal and intimate and where I wouldn't feel so anonymous. You know, like I just turned up in the middle of a crowd for a service at 12 o'clock and I could be anyone. <laughs> um, 
so I found, I did a little search and I found online really amazingly, really this Bristol Spirit Lodge place, which was just 20 minutes up the road from where I was living. It's in, I was living on Ashley Down on Gloucester Road and it was in Filton. So it's just a little bit up the road in Bristol. And I, uh, so I, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And they're doing, they're actually doing trance mediumship and physical mediumship as well, uh, which is the kind of thing that you, they didn't even, I didn't hear anything about ectoplasma or anything like that in the spiritualist church. Yeah. It was all, you know, uh, cl you know, clairvoyant kind of mediumship, mm. um, which is interesting as well. And I did have in a couple of interesting readings there too, but um, yeah. And so I, I got in touch and um, it's basically she invited me over to come and have a chat and um, it was good. And, um, you know, we had it, we got off on a, off to a good start. And um, then she said, you know, do you want to come to a seance? And then that was it. I went to my, the first seance and that seance as well. You know, the very first experience was the most profound seance. I think I've ha I'd had, it's kind of similar, I think to, know with psychedelics and stuff like that the first experience is often the most profound experience and um other ones never never really match up to the expectation after that um except for every now and again but in at this seance i i saw these it was in the daytime there's one one major thing that shook me <laughs> because I was expecting it to be, you know, in the nighttime, the seance would be at night and it would be in like a Victorian mansion or something like that. But actually it was in a garden shed in the suburb, suburbs of Bristol. And it was at nine o'clock in the morning. So I had to get up out of my student routine and, you know, trudge there. And it was a really icy cold day and it was, the pavements were slippy. So I had to concentrate all the way there. So it was a very interesting day. And, um, I got there and uh, the, yeah, we went out into the, to the lodge and I saw the medium going into the trance, but I started to see these like little flashes of light and stuff um, in the cabinet behind her. Um, they were, they seemed to me to be very, they seemed to be like hallucinations. So what I mean by like, I'd had, I've been primed so that I could kind of tell the difference between hallucinations and maybe something that is objective. So it felt like they were hallucinations. But one of the strangest things uh, that happened in that very first seance was I saw this green uh, mask kind of appear over the medium's face. And it looked kind of like a Chinese uh, monk's kind of face. That's how I how kind of like describe it. Um, but, you know, kind of stereotypical, cartoon-like maybe. Um, or caricature like maybe um but it was it was like a hallucination it was this green mask and it just sort of slid down and sort of disappeared and you know again i was like that's a weird thing to see but i'll keep it to myself <laughs> i don't want to make i don't this is my first seance i don't want to seem like some crazy guy who's <laughs> stumbled in and they say claim that they can see like you know, weird green masks and stuff but then and I was sure that it was a hallucination like a hallucinatory subjective kind of experience and that nobody else would have seen it anyway but then when we went into the back into the house to have biscuits and to discuss things you know a couple of people independently said did you see that green face and I had no choice but obviously to say you know well yeah I did but I I thought it was a hallucination or something so wow. that you know the very first seance was like had these weird lights that I saw. The medium went into their trance and it all seemed kind of like something was genuinely happening, like they were genuinely mm -hmm. having some kind of a, an altered state of consciousness. And then there was this semi-subjective kind of hallucinatory experience thing that was verified by someone else. <laughs> so nothing much more like intense than that happened well, actually, no, my hand got possessed one one time, which was quite an intense experience later on. Right. But, you know, it was that that was the best kind of seance that I'd had. And then other seances never really lived up to that kind of experience. But it was enough to, to make me realize that 
there's more to it going you know more stuff going on mm-hmm. in the seances than um and you know you can't just say it's fraud because you know you go into these places and for some reason you can have these weird hallucinations that that match up with other people's experiences yeah so there's obviously something more going on and that's really what the thesis was all about and i suppose that was the biggest mm-hmm. impact on me was that you know it made me realize that there was all of this other potential uh, all these other potential processes going on um that's i mean that sounds that sounds incredible like um and it's interesting that you talk about like psychedelic experience that kind of primed you for it to kind of be able to differentiate between kind of hallucination hallucination and something else mm-hmm. but uh, I, I mean again it's the idea of you know why would you look at hallucinogenics in the first place you know but it's the, it's the same territory you know it's it's looking to explore the other mm-hmm. you know um and when you when you mentioned earlier, because I have to ask you, I've got to come back to the fairies stuff. I, I mean, that's that's really in my wheelhouse. Um, you know, when, when you had that experience that you described earlier, um, where you interacted with um, some some fairies, like was was that a was it a very intense one? Was it an immersive, or was it like kind of like open eyes hallucination, closed eyes? you know like i mean yeah. you know it was um again it was my first ever mushroom mm-hmm. uh, experience and i was quite young at the time uh, not too young but maybe too young a little bit too young um and again there were other things that have got to be taken into con- the context of the whole experience so um we were in my my best friend's older brother's bedroom so always um, an older brother so always there is brother yeah. and uh it was in this old it was like 16th century part of the house very old and he was into wicker and we had the circle a circle drawn out on the floor in there and all of this kind of stuff um as well but you know we weren't doing that then mm-hmm. we weren't doing magic and um we weren't you know, I wasn't I wasn't going into that experience wanting to see fairies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very obviously a very intense experience. Um, but then, and there was all sorts of other things as well. But there was this one particular moment that stuck with me, where um, I looked across to this chest of drawers in the corner of the room, and uh, the top drawer was kind of hanging out, you know, like a kind of at an angle. And in the grain of the, the wood of the drawer, there was, there was this procession, um, two-dimensional procession. And uh, I've written about this experience in a couple of places. I've, got, I've actually got a chapter about it coming out soon. Uh, but these, char- these creatures looked like something like Brian Froud kind of creatures, you know, like Dark Crystal, mm. uh, fairies book and that kind of thing and this chapter that I've just written is about the the weird interplay of experience and culture in that way but which is something very interesting to think about mm. but they so they kind of had that kind of Brian Froudy kind of um, vibe to them um, and there was one that was kind of like a, a female um, that seemed to be leading the procession and was a little bit bigger than the other ones maybe and they kind of turned or this one turned its head towards me in two dimensions so it was kind of, it was kind of like an animation mm-hmm. um and kind of clocked me and then they just sort of carried on with their procession <laughs> they carried on moving through the grain of the wood and i don't know what happened like i don't know whether they went off the end of the wood or whether they just receded into it or went around the corner or because I must have for whatever reason lost interest in it <laughs> I just drifted off and looked at something else but the thing that was really interesting about these uh creatures was that there was other kind of fractal kind of chaos going on 
you know, around the these things and in the rest of the, the trip, you know, deep kind of like organic moving movement and things like that. But these were like very deliberately going, you know, like in a straight line in a procession uh, that seemed to have, you know, they seem to be doing something deliberately with intent. It's a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was really what I think differentiated it from the rest of the hallucinatory kind of stuff. Mm. Well, they may have been hallucinatory, but they were hallucination. You know, they had an intent and a purpose. Mm. And it was something that was um, not, not to do with me. Uh, you know, they were doing their own thing. And it was just a it was happenstance that I or a glimpse of it yeah almost stumbled upon it yeah. yeah which you know later on researching fairy lore and all of that kind of stuff it's just very common isn't it you know yeah. if you see the fairies doing their thing they they're not really interested they're actually usually they're not that fussed mm -hmm. and they want to get on with their own thing and and they usually do mm -hmm. so yeah it really stuck with me and i remember the next day when my mum came to pick me up from my friend's house and I was probably still tripping trying not to <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff yeah um but I was also probably quite emotional as well mm -hmm. but I remember saying that I'd seen fairies and I was met with you know kind of like disbelief um kind of thing and I realized, it, I, you know, it was, it was a bit upsetting in a way, but I realized yeah. that, um, you know, there are certain kinds of experiences that you can have that are, you know, that also if you talk about them, <laughs> that people think that you're weird or that that somehow means that you've like lost the plot or something. Yeah, there's some real taboos. There are. Yeah. You know, my mum's not like, you know, open-minded and everything's fine, fine yeah. and good. But at the time, it made me realize something about that kind of experience. And um, maybe that is, again, one of the reasons why I've gone down this route of researching this stuff is trying to understand all of that baggage and yeah. what the real deal is with these things and, and that kind of thing. I, I think that's a, a really interesting angle, you know, on, on the whole subject matter. It could, you know why is there such a taboo around it you know and, and it does seem to kind of skirt fear you know um and there's obvious reasons to be afraid of 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 some spirits you know some spirits aren't very you know cordial um and um and don't have great intent but it's how that kind of fear then kind of gets masked by well these things aren't real. There's nothing there, you know, and how that shift uh, happened is, is quite interesting. Um, you know, and I think sometimes you often see that in, in people's reactions when you talk about these things. That I think um, fear is behind it. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a bit of a relationship here with um, some of the themes in Green the Paranormal book that I edited, um, which is about the kind of like ecological strands in the paranormal and extraordinary experience and that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, um, in the same way that predators in the ecosystem, you know, what we've what what have we done to the predators in the ecosystem, predators above us? We've kind of put the, we've made them extinct and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we've hunted them. Um, until there's none left and we've kind of we kind of make the world safe for humans in that way and I think you know we haven't hunted the fairies to extinction or or anything like that but we have really kind of like shut ourselves off from the idea that there are predators or that there are uh, you know things higher up on the food chain than we are and we really reject it push it as far away as we can but I think that the fairies are you know they, they do that because they're not always pleasant you know you know you know, can have a fluffy cat and you can also have you know a giant <laughs> ferocious tiger that's going to eat you 
Yeah. They're both cats. Um, and it's the same, you know, with fairies. You can have a pleasant fairy encounter um, or you can have that very terrifying encounter as well. Yeah. And we like to push that away and forget that that kind of thing can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it does happen, it really puts us back into the ecosystem. And I think part of that is this is also part of the reason why a lot of extraordinary experiences, one of the kind of feedback effects or the kind of the influences of those experiences is to make people more aware of the environment and ecology and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden you realize that you're not separate from those systems and processes. You know, once you've been abducted by a UFO or something, <laughs> suddenly you realize actually I am part of this system mm-hmm. you know I'm not separate from it I'm not in my human bubble I'm actually a part of the ecosystem and I better start thinking about that because it's one of the common interesting threads that runs through all of this stuff is the effect of these kinds of experiences on people and you know near-death experiences and things like that and psychedelic experiences and even you know all sorts of other kinds of paranormal experiences have that mystical experiences too have that effect of making people more aware of their position in in ecology and i think yeah it's got something to do with that realizing that we are still a part of the food chain of Mm. fairies and goblins and or you know cthulhu (laughs) 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 yeah and you know i guess in that realization that kind of you know we're not top of it you know um which which is always a little bit jarring you know um i i think that um that's one of the things like charles ford sorry (laughs) no go ahead please i just think it just made me think then about you know charles ford and john keel and those kind of guys and the way they they suggested that we are actually just kind of like cattle, <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. We have, we have a very high view of ourselves, but actually from a cosmic perspective, maybe we're, well, yeah, you know, probably are just a part, part of this seething yeah. mass of life on the planet, not mm. necessarily anything special. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, but I think it's, it's an important reflection you know, like, because this whole thing about, like, we, we get so wrapped up in our own self-importance that we allow things like, you know, ecological catastrophes to happen, you know, like, yeah. um, and which is really, you know, why I, I, I'm deeply appreciative of of that that book. You, you, you edited the book, right? They, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, um, like, it's, it's, it's an important idea that like the in the greening the greening the paranormal that understanding we're part of nature yeah i think it's um it's run it runs deep to the the core of our kind of issues with the paranormal you know the, the the reasons why our culture rejects it and all of that kind of stuff i think it's deeply entwined with our cultural ideas about you know ecology and our place in the world and you know how our worldview for the past well you know at least since the industrial revolution but probably going way further back before that as well has been this drive to consume and to produce and all of that kind of stuff and that's been the real focus um it hasn't been to look at the interconnectedness of things and to realize the mutual not mutual that the uh you know what arnie ness called um like what's the word intrinsic value of things we don't see the value of things for themselves but for the things that they can do to us so you know the trees don't have their a value for themselves they have a value because they are a source of you know materials yeah and it's that kind again that kind of movement away from understanding the complexities of the world that we live in and reducing it down to the simple you know economic stuff Mm -hmm. uh, that also has led to the the disappearance or you know the marginalization of um, mystical and paranormal experiences as well because you know you don't go out into the world to interact with the the trees anymore because of their own intrinsic value 
-hmm. you go there to chop the tree down. Uh, instead, you know, if you go there to interact with the tree on, on its own terms, then you might in fact have a paranormal experience or, you know, an experience that would be labeled as paranormal. Mm -hmm. and, and thinking about that and kind of pulling that thread a bit, and you, you think about what that materialist society does believe in, you know, when it thinks, it, you know, it's the focus on kind of like the healthy economy. You know, we'll have news about like what our gross domestic product is and inflation. Those things aren't real. You know, look, we we believe in these things that are are, are more nebulous than the idea of non-human intelligence. You know, like, uh, well, depends which where you sit, I guess. But uh, like yeah. anything, you know, um, but but like I, I love that idea, you know, of, of greening the paranormal. I think it's I think it's an important one, you know, and, and as you kind of as you overlaid that a lot of our ideas around um conservation you know don't necessarily have their roots in the best place they also kind of have that idea of materials really preserving materials for elite use so, um rather than kind of actually preservating these areas just for their intrinsic value yeah which is why i think there's a, this you know traditional ecological knowledge and all of that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. uh, indigenous worldviews that have been you know that have grown from in a particular ecological niche and that are like fully embedded in there there's a lot that we can kind of learn from from that now and mm -hmm. uh, to do with reconnecting with you know our own local place and interacting with the kinds of things that are in that place mm -hmm. you know plants and uh, mm -hmm. animals and and rocks and all of those kind of things um i think that's probably that's where we need to go. And in doing that, I think we'll also realize that a lot of these paranormal kinds of things are sort of part of the course of that, of re-engaging, of re-participating in the natural world and realizing that, you know, the plants and animals and every, maybe even rock, some rocks and whatever have got intelligence at least, but, you know, you know, consciousness and intelligence and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. but also cultures there's mm. loads of interesting stuff at the moment coming out about you know non-human cultures in non-human species it just you know when you start to think from this like more indigenous perspective um you know about the importance of establishing good relationships with the world rather than using it for just for human consumption or human value then yeah. you know a lot of things start to kind of fall into place yeah you know it's just it's just i just just despair a little bit about the way that our world is going but i think also there's a lot of um potential good yeah. stuff as well <laughs> yeah no I, I i i i feel you on that one yeah you know i i i get where you're going you know like um i've like even from the kind of I always look at kind of how, like the space we're talking about, you know, you could talk about spirits or you, you get into magic and you get into kind of all these different fields. You end up in a garden and you end up conversely from that garden in the kitchen, you know, that this this is what happens. You go back to kind of like, you know, to, to, to slower ways of living because you're spending time with things. And I think, you know, the, the phrase you used about kind of the kind of the, the the innate value of things like that like once you get into this territory and if you well you know again different sort of different folks but you know there's so many people i know who like who now true kind of their own spiritual beliefs that are uh, you know magic based they always end up kind of like growing their own plants making their own tinctures making their own oils they all have a magical purpose you know and it's like stuff that you would think of like well that's just a, a crappy weed right you now read about it and you go oh well, this thing has a whole raft of different uses and now what was it was a weed has it got its own special pot and it is tended to and it's cared to and it's and it's it's loved and it's sung to you know um and it's a totally different way of seeing different aspects of of nature you know um it does change your life um and i suspect you're you're are you a bit of a gardener's as well or are you i am i'm not a great excellent gardener yeah. or anything but I have got my 
vegetable patch and um, I love being in the garden um, and I, I've been trying <laughs> I've been trying some kind of like gardening magic in my, oh, in my cool. garden picking awesome. up but no, nothing specific no kind of um, you know I'm not doing any kind of ritual mm -hmm. or anything but from the kind of cross-cultural reading that I've been doing about gardening magic and the different magical ways that people use and interact with gardens, mm. um, I've just been taking little ideas. Um, and, but, it's in, but ones that kind of feel relevant as well. So I was reading about these stones in, um, was it in Papua New Guinea? And they have these magical gardens and they, they the, the gardens are very dangerous kinds of places because they're, they're kind of halfway between the human world and the, the wild world. Mm -hmm. So the places where spirit interactions take place, mm -hmm. liminal places. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in this way of thinking, the gardens were kind of like the special place for women as well, where women would go and do talk about women's things. So they were mm -hmm. kind of like a, mm -hmm. you know, a special place in that sense as well. Yeah. But they would have, because they were these dangerous places where these entities might appear, they would bring in a protective, you know, like apotropaic objects, mm. like, uh, you know, especially things like stones with holes in. Yeah. Uh, in Papua New Guinea, or I think it was Papua New Guinea. Anyway. Mm. And, you know, then I was thinking, well, this is just sounds a lot like, you know, hagstones and, mm. and that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, that actually when I, we moved into this house, we, there was already hagstones on the front doorstep. So I took them and put them in the, in the vegetable patch. Um, I don't know if they've had any <laughs> effect, but I'm just accumulating yeah. magical objects that I find in the, in the vegetable patch. Seeing what will happen. Absolutely. Um, I think um, it helps you to, um, it mediates, between you and the garden or the environment, um, you know, th you through these objects, mm -hmm. um, it gives you an, a a way of establishing a relationship. Yeah, um, with the garden. Cool. Yeah, it is. It is really cool, you know. And, and like, um, like I I tend to kind of overlay all the standard stuff that I do in the garden, you know, with a kind of a mystical <laughs> framework on, on everything. It's all, it's all some really deep, meaningful shit to me. Composting, massive, Composting you know, huge spiritual uh, importance to me. But like uh, one of the things that kind of, you know, that, that really moves me about like my own garden space is that like, you know, I used to try so hard, you know, to grow tomatoes and sometimes they fail and sometimes they, they, they I, I'd get a few or whatever. It's like, now they just grow. You know, I don't have to do anything. I, I you know, if anything, I'm pulling some of them up. You know, it's like, so it's like you get that space that you work with and you have a relationship with that it kind of, you know, through your own endeavor and putting so much of, of kind of your, your own, desire and intention into it it, ju it just reacts back to you you know yeah. it's uh, it's establishing a relationship isn't it a good mm. relationship yeah a mutually beneficial relationship where the plant is getting everything that it needs from you and then mm. it gives you <laughs> yeah but it take it doesn't necessarily happen the first time mm. and this is something that i've been thinking a lot about recently in terms of like spirit contact and that kind of stuff because people sometimes ask me, you know, like, you know, I really want to get into mediumship or something. <laughs> what should I do? You know, should I go and find a spiritualist circle or something like that? Mm -hmm. But now more and more I'm thinking like, maybe just get a garden and maybe start mm -hmm. that way. Because, mm -hmm. you know, this, there's all this new interesting science and stuff coming out now about plant intelligence and plant sentience and... Mm -hmm plant memory and learning and all that kind of stuff which you know is amazing mm -hmm. but you know if you, go, if you look at the traditional ecological knowledge well plants were persons anyway so mm. they had that capacity mm. um but yeah i mean i think i've lost my train of thought there <laughs> that's my fault but, i'm waffling about vegetables okay yeah. no what was i saying yeah it's, but, so yeah it's about establishing a relationship mm. with the uh and understanding 
the the plants that you're mm-hmm. living with, isn't it? And mm. I was saying something about the what was it about the intelligence of plants? The science is revealing it. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 really interesting stuff, and it's like even kind of when you talk about that kind of mutually beneficial relationship like beyond the, the 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 food beyond the nutrition beyond the kind of the you know the old the obvious benefits of having food that hasn't been messed with and gone through weird industrialized processes that you know all that kind of obvious stuff it's yeah. just that the, the mental health benefit is tremendous you know tremendous like, it is oh. i mean even just going out in nature though i mean you know from a mainstream scientific perspective yeah. just going outside is good for you <laughs> yeah so you know imagine what is also going on on these other more subtle levels and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff that's all still yeah. going on yeah. i remembered what i was i was gonna say about um you know when people want to develop spirit communication and uh, they should go out into the garden because we've had such a problem in our Western culture of even coming to terms with the fact that, you know, plants and trees and the things that are immediately obvious in our environment, have got intelligence and consciousness and that kind of stuff. So it's not surprising that we're going to have difficulty trying to grasp or grapple with, you know, non-physical consciousness (laughs) or, you know, consciousness that hasn't even got a single body. So I think maybe we should start back from basics, you know, and work our way up to more subtle forms of, Mm-hmm. of mind and consciousness because clearly our culture hasn't dealt with the mind and consciousness that's around us on an everyday basis yet yeah no, we're only much. just only just deciding you know not me and probably not you or other people but scientists mm-hmm. that animals actually you know have feel the feel of pain and things like that mm-hmm. you know it's only just recently been you know officially declared yeah. <laughs> So our culture's got like this real slow kind of thing going on. Yeah, we've a long way to go with a lot of stuff. Like, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I can't even get into that space. It's just like it's it's just so overwhelming and depressing. Um, what was going to say? Yeah. I, I I noticed on the cover of uh, Manifesting Spirits, you've got a, a some some of Shannon Taggart's work. Shannon was on the oh, show yeah. a while ago. Really interesting to chat to her. You know, kind of. Um, She's great. Mm, lovely. Yeah, no, fantastic. I one. met Shannon a, quite a while ago now. It there used to be these uh, amazing conferences called Exploring the Extraordinary. Did you have you did you ever no, hear of them no. or go to them? They used to be held up in in York, and they were organised by Hannah Gilbert, who's a sociologist who did her research on spirit mediumship. And uh, they were excellent conferences, kind of around, around about 2010 right. to like 2014. And that was, it was through those conferences that I met Shannon. And then we, they did one Exploring the Extraordinary conference in um, Gettysburg in America. Oh, wow. Which is a funny, strange place. <laughs> yeah, no... and, uh, um, but a great place because there's a guy at Gettysburg College, he's just retired now, called Professor Charles Emmons. And he was a sociologist, like writing in the eighties about um, you know the sociology of the paranormal. So a real pioneer of all of that kind oh, of stuff. Cool. Yeah. And then uh, we had this great conference at his uh, college, and that I think that was maybe maybe that was the first time I met Shannon in person. Mm. Then afterwards, she came to Wales, or maybe it was before, and we went to some burial chambers, uh, which oh, was fun as well. Yeah. I got to take her to some of the. Uh, your burial chambers on the coast in, in Wales. Yeah. Very nice. Good day out that was. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, and do you, do, you, do you have an interest, or well, you clearly do have an interest in kind of the megalithic uh, structures oh, yeah. and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I do. I love um, burial chambers, mm. um, Neolithic burial chambers, mm. you know, or dolmens or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I just love going inside them and um spending time in them sometimes altering my consciousness inside them yeah um and just i feel like it's a it's an interesting way of um connecting with ancestors Mm. 
and that we have one um, in Dufferin Dudwe on the coast, which is where we usually go to the beach when you're allowed to travel. Yeah. So I get to have, uh, I get to go there quite frequently. So I've kind of got really got to know the burial chambers at, at Dufferin Dudwe. That's where we we took Shannon because it's a very familiar one. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just I love them. I always have. And again, I did archaeology at university. My degree was archaeology and anthropology. And I did lots of uh, Neolithic, studying the Neolithic and mm. that kind of thing as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's great stuff. And it has a lovely, interesting overlap in some of the, you know, the, the shamanistic ideas and interpretations of, yeah. of prehistory. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. You know, um, and, and in terms of, I mean, I've 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 an idea what you were doing <laughs> in 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 the chambers, like okay. you know. And did did you have any kind of revelatory experiences or? I didn't have. It wasn't mushrooms in the chambers, just in case. But yeah. <laughs> every time I do, every time um, if I get to spend enough time there, mm-hmm. and it's not a, it's not just a fleeting visit. Sometimes yeah. it's it's very quick, but every time you can't help but feel uh something i think when you go into these places and especially if you get to spend time in there alone yeah um there's you know the fact that there was you know bones in there mm. bodies and that kind of stuff instantly gives it a strange feeling yeah. <laughs> for me anyway you know that there was once dead bodies inside it mm. So you you just go in there and it automatically puts you into an unusual kind of uh, frame of mind. And you can only imagine what, you know, people going back inside there, you know, 4,000, hmm. 5,000 years ago, yep. 6,000 years ago, were really thinking about when they did it. And, you know, the, the, there would have been skeletons and stuff in there like, with them. Hmm. I had this experience once. I don't know. It might just be me. But bones and skeletons, bones and things like that, really give me a strange feeling. Uh, I can't. I don't really like touching them. Mm. And, and it, when I was at university, we were because I was in we were in the archaeology department. We had we went into this bones room, <laughs> and you know um, when you're going to faint and you get that whistling in your ears that comes in, mm. and you feel yourself going all white and clammy. <laughs> that <laughs> happened to me in this bones room. I just felt I was just like, my God, there's dead bodies all around me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like that, you know, when you go into these tombs, you know that they're for me anyway, I feel that there has been dead bodies in there. Mm-hmm. And I feel a very visceral yeah, kind of connection yeah. with the ancestors. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean that it's it's really interesting to kind of think about that whole thing of of like using those sites as as a meditation you know uh, meditation space um you know when we were chatting earlier i mentioned um some of my work in india and um one of the subject matters of of my work was the uh, the agori the hindu sect um who who kind of practice like quite transgressive stuff as as part of their kind of quest for cities and 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 kind of their view on what reality is but they like specifically do um, things like Shavasadhana, which is like corpse magic. And they think like meditate on top of corpse and, you know, are yeah. covered in you know, like they live in carnal grounds and eternal grounds and, and um, you know, are, are, are covered in cremation ash and that kind of stuff, yeah. um, which, I, which I mentioned that not, not too long ago. I, I am on, on, on the show or a few friends show. I got covered in cremation ash. Like I was given a blessing. That I wasn't expecting, which was a face full of cremation ash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, but it's potent you know. stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and it's that whole thing of like you know, as you say, kind of seeing the remains, you know, or seeing a cremation, and knowing, like the big thing for me that hits me every time that I'm faced with that is these are the remnants of, you know people's dreams and aspirations and fears and loves and families and you know and all that stuff all that complexity that we have in our heads and that is so serious and so important you know and it's just gone it like mm-hmm. it literally turns to ash 
you know um and it's a it's a useful thing in that regard to kind of realize that a it's super transient that in a in the grand scheme of things like a lot of stuff that you might be really fretting about doesn't really matter you know um which is always it's a useful thing to know you know um but but also that that i think you know that connection to the ancestors you know and and your line is yeah. is really important you know to it think is. about where you come from and or how you got here you know oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. and could i ask you what 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 are your meditations on that well what on on how we got here yeah well uh, you know what on the ancestor you know the, the ancestor kind of angle and kind of your, your exploration in that area yeah well the ancestors <laughs> i have um like I said, yeah, my relationship with ancestors, I don't have like any kind of um, spiritual practice or anything like that. And I don't do, I don't have any kind of um, like routine or <laughs> like meditation or anything like that, that I do regularly. But I do have um, a side of myself that is kind of like always uh, open to these kinds of things so I do have a very real like a I think a, a, a quite a strong feeling of spirit spirits and things like that but it's not it's not like a major thing in my life I don't know if, I, if I'm answering your question uh, but I, think I think you're answering it honestly you know like yeah yeah like yeah. in my everyday world I don't see mm. spirits and things like that yeah. I don't see the ancestors and I don't feel their presence. Mm -hmm. um, but when I go to the burial chambers, for example, or when I go down into the, the bogs or not the toilets, but you know, like the wet yeah. bog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm from Ireland. Bog I know what a bog land. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or the woods. Yeah. Or I find a little like, um, like a rabbit hole. Or like a something that you know, like a mossy stone or something, mm -hmm. like things like that. Then I, all of a instantly, I'm just like, there's something more, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. Although mm -hmm. I don't, although the, the spirit, I'm not a, like a spiritual person mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm still quite a spiritual person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't experience my the ancestors all the time, but every yeah. now and again, I slip into a place where they. Where I where I do feel it, but I, and I can I can accept it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I get what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I kind of I feel a similar way. To you know, to be honest, like like I'm, you know, like I'm I'm not a very good magician. You know, I, I don't really practice enough. You know, uh, or 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 study enough, or all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm I'm. I'm busy with kids <laughs> you know is, is the honest <laughs> answer you know um but but i do kind of i have that I, I get that sense of almost amazement at what previously would have been very kind of banal things or things that i wouldn't even register but 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 now it's like like seeing the imprint of like tracks that wild animals have across grasslands or or, or tracks through hedges that fascinates me and I'll stay there and look at them, or if I see little bits of their hair, you know, on a fence, like I'll, I'll want to, to touch it and like think about it, you know, and that really draws me in. And, 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 and I don't, you know, but I think about it in a way that, that gives, that, I don't know, it, 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 it draws out the mystic in me, you know, yeah. like, uh, and I think it's talking about what, you know, what you mentioned again, and you kind of really articulately quote earlier about that kind of intrinsic value in, Mm. you know a, a thing a living thing you know yeah. this is another th interesting thread here that connects the my like um mediumship research to the greening the paranormal kind of ecological kind of thing and it's like i think that there are very similar processes that are involved in the process of developing spirits in the, in the bristol spirit lodge and the processes of establishing a relationship with 
for example, the spirits of place or things like that. So one of the things I noticed when I was doing this, my mediumship stuff, was that, the, and I've been writing about this quite a bit recently, is how the, it wasn't like, you know, there's this technological model of mediums that's quite popular, that they're kind of like a, a, a receiver or they're like, a, you know, they're kind, of, they're kind of like a filter or, you know, their right. brain is a computer and it's kind of tuning into spirits. And there's kind of like a technological metaphor that's being used to understand it. Um, but what I observed when I was doing my field work was actually that this mediumship process was really like a slow, gradual kind of process. It was, and the, the spirits, like the process of a spirit becoming a, like a communicating personality in a seance wasn't a, an instant one like you tune into the spirit and then you've got it actually it might take like months for a particular spirit to fully express itself and so the, the way that it works or the way that i observed it is that the, the circle leader kind of observes the the medium going into their trance and then the medium will do things the body will do things um, which the, the circle leader picks up on and kind of hones in on and focuses in on it. So, for example, if the medium's finger twitches, for example, mm. then the circle leader will be like, ah, oh, the medium's finger twitched. Then they'll be like, can you do that again? You know, they'll t- start to communicate with it. So they start to focus in on and have a communication with a very specific thing that might just be a, a twitching finger to begin with. But because they keep interacting with it, eventually it becomes a moving hand and then, you know, a voice starts to talk and all of that kind of stuff. So it's this process of participation and interaction in um, the seances with the spirits that kind of brings them into social existence. And that's why, you know, when you stop participating with them and interacting with them, well, then they're not really there anymore. <laughs> they just they, they go back in. There's an anthropologist called Nurit Bird David who talked about this with the Nayaka people in India. And they have these practices where they bring these Devaru, they call them Devaru, Devara spirits. And they're kind of like nature spirits. I think they live in trees and stuff, but they can mm-hmm. they can be brought in, you know, through mediums' bodies. And they do the same thing, the same process of building up of this relationship with the particular entity. And the, the conversations will start off kind of like just sort of like teasing each other, maybe, or, you know, whatever, encouraging them and being the, the participants will be concerned and they're like trying to bring the spirits forward and say, you know, you can do this, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and until eventually they can have a relationship and a conversation. And it's exactly what they're saying that happened at the Bristol Spirit Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, eventually when when a spirit has become fully kind of uh, stabilized or whatever i don't know yeah what it is <laughs> but um you know they can come through much easier like in subsequent seances mm-hmm. but this process then of concentrating and focusing in on and establishing a relationship with the little things and then building it up into a dialogue is exactly the same kind of process that is involved in, you know, establishing a relationship with the little the details in your the intricate features in your garden or, mm. you know, uh, feeling the water in the stream and focusing in on it and building up a, a dialogue with the stream or do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's actually the same, the process of manifesting spirits, which is what mm. the book is about, is the same is you know manifesting spirits or bringing making intelligence the intelligence that is present in the world um manifested expressed yeah Yeah, i think that's kind of that's one of the interesting threads that connects this Mm. mediumship stuff to the the spiritual ecology kind of angle yeah awesome um (laughs) I could keep going for a long time, um, but I don't want to take up any more of, of your evening. Um, no, it's fine. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much um, for, for coming on the show. Um, 
what are, what are the, what are the best places for people to to find you if they want to follow, follow your work and yeah um well i've got a website um which is jack-hunter.webstarts.com classy web address <laughs> and uh you can find me on google pretty easily if you just search for jack hunter and or put paranormal in there because there are other jack hunters out there as well <laughs> some of them are not very savory um which is interesting and uh also i have a few different pages on facebook i've got a dr jack hunter page where i just post stuff on yeah. there um new things that pop up and also there's the page for the ma in ecology and spirituality on facebook which some people might be interested in okay. this is the course that i've been working on teaching for the past year or nearly two years now actually right um so yeah search for them awesome i will compile them and put them in the show notes for everybody brilliant it's been fantastic talking to you thank you very much for coming to the spirit box thank you very much Thank you very much to Dr. Jack Hunter for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that. It was a great conversation and um, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. So I've left the links in the show notes to uh, his presences online where you can pick up his books or follow him on Facebook. Um, all right, that's it for me. Talk soon and take care. Bye.